And so I learned while researching this book that Andrew Jackson was a man of great contradictions, a champion of democracy who maintained his grip on power by disenfranchising and dispossessing millions of people, an opponent of tyranny who governed by executive fiat, and, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, Andrew Jackson, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes? Was Andrew Jackson a zombie? That theory has been almost universally discredited. So why is it people kept trying to kill him, but he survived? That's another fallacy. Medical researchers have concluded that Andrew Jackson died at least twice before he was buried. But his body kept functioning due to the preservative effects of whiskey. Are there any more questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, presidential sketch comedy and history for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode, Andrew Jackson. For those of you that are returning to DB Comedy Presents the Electables, welcome back. For those of you that are new, this is a hybrid, a mashup of sketch comedy about the presidents and discussions with people who know things about presidents. History, if you will. We hope you enjoy, we hope you do some digging, and we hope to keep hearing from more new friends. Enjoy. Well, we have an excellent sense of Andrew Jackson. Garbage human. Dumpster fire if dumpsters existed. This episode's historians, Chelsea Deneau and Laura Ashley Pierce. So not all presidents rise to the occasion of being people that we admire. I mean, we talked earlier about Thomas Jefferson, who had that reputation until, you know, reality in the last few years. I don't... I don't know. Still, to a lot of people, he I would say longer than the last few years. Um, Depending on who you talk to, I know in Virginia he's still deified, Uh, and there are people who would rather uh, chew ground glass than admit that there was anything going on between him and Sally, and that there's the offspring. In fact, there was uh, the Monticello Foundation Mm. had uh, splintered off into a separate, uh, a different group that said, "No, never." It's scurrilous lies. <laughs> Welcome to the debates among historians. Right. But Andrew Jackson, we don't have any compunction about all of this. Bad Garbage. person from the beginning. Potential, was a psychopath? I would say I mean, so. I, I don't know that I'd go that far. Oh, not a psychologist. Kind of dangerous <laughs> to make these kind of distinctions. I True, would say fine. hothead. Definitely a hothead. Yeah. Mm. Um, no question about that. Did Thank his, you for having more restraint than I did, Laura. <laughs> Was Did his wife, Rachel, die before he became she president? She did. She died right after he was elected, but before, but before he could actually be inaugurated. Okay. So it was, very, it was very tragic. Actually, I think like, the one good thing I can say about Andrew Jackson is that like he really loved his wife. Mm-hmm. And he stuck up for her because people said a lot of mean things about her that may or may not have been true. And he, like... He fought for fought her. for his wife and, and kept, like, this this torch burning for, like, remembering the hardship that she had gone through and then, like, felt 
empathy towards people going through similar hardships. And so that's like white the, people. Well, well, yeah, obviously white, white people. people who were going through similar. <laughs> well, hardships. I'm thinking of it's one 18, woman 18, in particular. Those are the only people. <laughs> like I'm, it's yeah. 1828. There was one woman in particular who was being shunned by the matrons. The petticoat uh, affair. Yes. Uh, yeah, because uh, there was they were saying that this one young woman was having an, uh, an un, uh, a relationship, uh, a, a toward relationship, allegedly with a cabinet member. So or? she was actually the wife of the Secretary of War. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other wives of secretaries and other cabinet members didn't want to associate with her because basically there were these rumors that you know, back before she got married, like maybe she was a prostitute and she worked in her father's like tavern. Like that's shady. And then she had actually ladies pouring beer, the real housewives of the Andrew Jackson presidency. That's literally what I was going to say. Real housewives of Washington, DC, real housewives of Washington, DC. They shunned her. They, um, she'd actually been married before she married the, uh, the secretary of war. And so then there were all these rumors that like, maybe they got married before she actually, was no long before her first husband I think he died before he actually died like they had been you know together illicitly and so there were all these rumors about her that she was you know unchaste and not the kind of person that you know good society women should be associating with and so they completely shunned her they made their husbands shun her and her husband they were it was yeah it was it was very real housewives it was very mean and awkward um but was that part of the andrew jackson presidency this sort of backstabby yes. infighting from beginning to end uh among women there <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, well and i mean this is like i said one of the only good things i can say about andrew jackson mm. is that during this whole time he actually um this woman's name was peggy and he actually he stood up with her and he took her side and and you know thought this was ridiculous that the other wives were shunning her he said you know she is I, th- I think he said something like she is as chaste as a virgin um or something like something very old-timey that you would say um <laughs> and you know defending her honor um because this was a direct reminder of yeah. the kind of scandals that he had faced um with him and his wife and the kinds of things that people would say about her because she had been married before she married andrew jackson and so people said a lot of similar things about her. And so and there he, was some issue was between the timing of her divorce from her first husband and her second husband. They accused her of being a Rachel, of being a bigamist and I mean, this, a whore. Is an actual fact that she and Andrew Jackson got married before her divorce was actually legal from her first husband. Um, and they had to get remarried after <laughs> it was legal. <laughs> Because after she was actually divorced. At um, what point was that during it? Was this while he was still in the military or was this? Oh, so dear. uh, Or was this while he was beginning his uh, political career? Uh, This was before. This was when he was like in the military and, and, you know, had his um, was a planter and all of that. Um, that they got married. So it was, it was before he, he started going into politics. And so it actually started, you know, well before he was kind of on a national scene, just people in town were like, oh, I don't know about this. It's The timing seems off. Um, but the, these kind of relationships actually weren't like that weird in like a frontiery kind of setting, right? Um, yeah. That, you know, if you were going to get divorced from somebody, well, you just got with somebody else. And like the, the legality of the timing, like wasn't necessarily a big concern. If you're, you know, people are all in the community, they know you, but 
as soon as, you know, he's going out into these other places, he's getting on a national scene, uh, this becomes a pretty big issue. And So it's a sense of, it's, it's, it's a bit of opposition research in a sense, because it sounds like wives were fair game. Well, and of course, we know that from some of our previous discussions that wives have come into play in presidential elections. And we're kind of building up to the election of 1828, which has the reputation of being the absolute sleaziest election in American history, which says a lot. (laughs) Um, And his wife plays a big part of it. And, of course, some of the legend is also that the stress of the election may have helped uh, lead to her early demise or her demise. I mean, Jackson certainly blamed the stress of the election for her death. Um, Whether it was a factor or not, he thought it was. And he never forgave uh, John Quincy Adams and uh, anyone else that he he thought uh, was to blame for his wife's death. What was heart attack said about or her? oh, just all of the stuff that she was. Okay, for. so it was just a regurgitation. Yeah, it was okay. rehashing the the yeah. issues of her uh, chasteness and, and how her did how poor did fallen woman yeah. strumpet? And how did whatever. Jackson return fire? Ooh, I think uh, didn't he try to beat a few people up? <laughs> Well, no. During the election itself, we'll get to we'll get to pre-president we'll <laughs> get mean, to pre-president Andrew Jackson in a few seconds. People. But let's let, since we're talking about the election and because there because there are a lot of different a lot of stories from the election through the inauguration. I mean, um, he, he tried to sling some sexual. Well, I mean, he didn't, right? Of course, this is still in the time when nobody's you doing their have own your campaigning. Um, but his people, right, tried to tried to sling similar uh, sexually based uh, illicit uh, rumors and whatnot, which is kind of funny because, like, John Quincy Adams, really, those mutton chops. Um, <laughs> those mutton chops are only for one woman. <laughs> well, I always say Kissinger got women, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, no I accounting it, for taste. Yeah, I think Paul it's fair Paul game. is the greatest aphrodisiac. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, Jackson's people like tried to claim, I, I think one of the things they tried to claim is like that when, uh, John Quincy Adams had been like ambassador to Russia, that he was like getting the Russian emperor, like prostitutes and like all of this, like kind of crazy stuff. Um, which like, I just don't really see that happening. I mean, we can't confer, like, but we can't also, know, but like that seems kind of, but unlikely. also would make an excellent HBO show. I mean, I'd watch that. Like, well, basically, Catherine the... The, Catherine the Great meets the deuce. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, so... So you're saying the Russian emperor couldn't get his own prostitutes. Right, like, he's the emperor of Russia, right? Proxies. Like, I think he can probably get his own prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least has some Russian dudes that can get him prostitutes. He doesn't need, like, the American ambassador to do it. Right. Um, he's 14. Now, the... the, no, the no, yeah. The so the election of 1824, we heard all about how tight it was. The election of 1828, not so much. Oh, it was a landslide. How do you do it? How do you win it? Well, I mean, to be to be, I mean, to be frank, Jackson kind of should have won the election of eighteen twenty four. Okay. Um, as far as you know, he did win the popular vote. He did have more electoral, electoral college yeah. votes. Um, not the majority, not you know over fifty percent, but he, you know, for all intents and purposes probably should have been president in 1824 to begin with. You know, that's a situation there that he already had all these people on his side that were pissed that he didn't win the first time. And then, of course, he's getting the Southern vote, right? John Quincy Adams is an Adams. 
<laughs> he is so New England ah. that there is Again, no the other the way. Regional divide. Really comes into play for the first time. Yeah. And, I, I mean, not only is it the regional divide of being an Adams, right, which is synonymous with Boston elite, right, but it's also that program that we had talked about mm-hmm. earlier of internal improvements and uh, devotion, philanthropy, like, philanthropic support of the arts and sciences, right? Which most Southerners and most rural Americans thought was just a big boondoggle. And I mean, these things kind of, unfortunately, did disproportionately benefit Northerners. Yeah, right? wealthy so, elites. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, to, to the Southerners, this is bullshit, right? They're not getting their due. Um, so Jackson... Being a Southerner, uh, being a war hero, right? Which, who doesn't love a war hero? Uh, I mean, we can debate Quakers. all of that, but yeah, probably Quakers. But <laughs> other than that, uh, and so, and, and also, you know, he is unequivocally our first populist president, mm-hmm. right? He is running on a platform, basically, that is let the common man decide. <gasps> Was that like the slogan? I, that's not like his literal slogan. I think it actually <laughs> might be, though. Really? Oh. I'm going to look it up because so, I think it's really close. <laughs> Sandy, are you seeing this bullshit from the president? <laughs> if by bullshit you mean making America great again, then yes. Oh, I forgot. You're one of those that voted for the schmuck. A bunch of people voted for him. A bunch of poor white hicks. That's who. Ah. No offense. He swept in on a wave of populism. Populism? (laughs) Do you see the rabble he attracts to his rallies? The common man finally has a voice in politics. The man is unfit for the office. He's well known for not being able to restrain his temper. Every other day, it seems, he's going on another outburst. (laughs) Plus, he's a damn criminal. Hey, yeah, he's never been convicted of anything. Yet... I guess when you have enough money, you can buy your way out of anything. He is looking out for the common man, though. He's tanking the economy with all of his looking out for the common man. Says who? And his cabinet. Ugh. Claims he's going to stamp out Washington corruption, and what does he do? Nominates his cronies and donors. Political spoils. And you know what really gets my goat? He's displacing a whole race of people and stashing them in some secret camp around the country. He's not really going to do that. He's literally doing that right now. It's it's a metaphor. You hear that some states are already starting to resist his orders? Mm, I don't see how that could go wrong. Of course. Then there's that state that's using his support to defy a direct Supreme Court order. Oh, you mean Georgia? Of course I mean Georgia. It's always Georgia. You're just mad you lost the election. Ugh. Mark my words, Andrew Jackson is going to be considered the worst thing to ever happen to this country. Whatever. It could be worse, you know. Could you imagine if he was cozying up to the banks, too? Hmm, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, what kind of asshole would do all the things I just was talking about and also fill his administration with tycoons and bankers? You've got to give in eventually. I mean, he did win the popular vote. (laughs) (laughs) 
With Jackson, did he have political ambition or were there people who came to him and said, hey, Andrew, we've been talking in the town and we think you would make a mighty fine uh, spokesperson for us. you would get out of town here because you're so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, I mean... The weird thing is that actually, like, before Andrew Jackson got on the national political scene, he was, like, kind of a bit of a pariah because of his hot temper um, and because of what that led him into, right? He he killed a guy in a duel um, in basically, like, the most dishonorable way possible uh, at one point. Shot him in the back? Uh, well, not quite that bad, but he... One, two, bang, three? <laughs> that you know, this uh, he'd gotten into a duel uh, over his wife's honor, uh, as one does, and the guy who uh, the you know the guy who he was dueling was an amazing shot. Actually, shoots Andrew Jackson in the chest, but like doesn't doesn't kill him or anything. And so you know the rules of duel say, okay, now I have to stand here and let you shoot me. <laughs> and in in in. Polite society, I guess, you know, like in the rules of dueling, though, Andrew Jackson's not really supposed to kill him at this point. That's he, he's not supposed to do that, but he does. He straight up kills the guy and people are pissed, right? All of the other uh, elite dudes in town think this is ridiculous because that's not how this works, right? Those are not the rules of dueling. He didn't kill you. He didn't. He wasn't trying to kill you. You can't kill him. Uh, but he did. And so he actually was, you know, a lot of people didn't like him uh, for a while. Um, but, you know, luckily, military achievements kind of wipe some of that away for you. Although he killed a few people in the military, too. Well, that's usually <laughs> uh, that's usually not frowned upon. <laughs> and wasn't it the, is it, was it the French-Indian War or the French, when he was down in Florida? Who was he yeah, fighting? Yeah, so when he was fighting... I think it was maybe the first Seminole War. He was just supposed to, you know, he was just supposed to like get the Seminoles out of the United States, right? Drive them back to Florida. I thought there was a war that was a, a foreign power. I don't know if it was the British or well, it was the Spanish. Spanish. And the Seminoles were Helping part of his troop. He had Seminoles on his side, which... I may be uh, misremembering or misunderstanding, but the idea of there were Seminoles who fought alongside of Jackson. And then when he decided, you know, we want Florida when he was president, <laughs> we're just going to trail of tears this thing. And it's like, we fought with you. Well, we actually already had Florida before that, but then. Thank they you, just John still, Quincy Adams. Thanks, John Quincy Adams during the Monroe <laughs> presidency. But yeah, I mean. Andrew Jackson, garbage human, right? Like, does not care if you were his ally at one point. If you're a Native American, like, he's going to fuck you over. Uh, hardcore. Sorry if we have to d- bleep that out. Uh, I, 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 like the pa- I like the pause between fuck, fuck you, you and over. over. <laughs> it's almost like you put it in the over as a, oh, a tag on. Well, I mean, I realize that, like, maybe that could have other connotations otherwise. So True, though. <laughs> I mean, who knows about that, but... Yeah, so, I mean, at one point, like, Andrew Jackson is, is you know, just supposed to do, like, the bare minimum, right, in this war. And instead, he takes it upon himself to, like, charge into Florida and take over a, a town and then kills two British dudes. Right? No one asked you to do like, this. Like, for no reason. Britain's not even who they were at war with. Like, we're mad at Spain. We're not, we weren't really at war with Spain. But, like, we, we have a beef with Spain right now. 
I don't even know where these British dudes came from, quite honestly. But he executes two British guys. Um, and luckily... Mercenaries? Probably. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. But, you know, presumably they're fighting against us and that's why he kills them. But, you know, luckily Britain and the U.S. are new BFFs at this point, because right? Because of Napoleon. In the, yeah, because of Napoleon <laughs> in, and in the post barely not losing the War of 1812. Uh, so they don't, they don't make a stink about it. It's okay. Um, and also, everyone in Monroe's cabinet, this is during Monroe's presidency, is pissed at Jackson at this point for doing this, except for John Quincy Adams, who defends Jackson, and then Jackson goes, and he's such a dick to him once he's president. No respect. He, does he just have that vindictive streak in him? I mean, they do have, like, strong political differences. There's I, no denying that. And I think it has a lot to do, again, with this shift, this, like, really hard, stark shift in American politics at this time, right? This hard transition from... Um, like the political elites to a more populist government. From the founders to the people in the country. Yeah, yeah. right? And most states start passing these universal white manhood suffrage laws in the 1820s. Uh, and by 1856, like every state has these universal suffrage laws. But for the white men. <laughs> for, for, only for white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, most of those laws are passed by the 1830s. Um, oh, I thought they didn't start until like 10, 20 years afterwards. But I knew by the time the Civil War took place, you had a preponderance. You had white, non-property owning white men were able mm-hmm. to vote. Most At, Some start in the 1820s, though. Wow. Yeah. So by yeah, 1828, so this, some of those folks were voting. Some of these folks are voting for Jackson, and Jackson is directly appealing to those kind of people. Right, and, and John Quincy Adams represents that old style of politics. And so not only are there these pol- hard political differences between Jackson mm-hmm. and Adams, but it's also a populism versus establishment election or right, a, not a, just election a really but a question <laughs> of like who should run this country the people or the elites and you start to the see age that old question yeah well you actually start to see that quite literally day one <laughs> yes <laughs> this is the best story i think of jackson like it doesn't make him look good but it's like the best funniest story like i get really strong visuals of this story whenever someone tells it (laughs) very strong visuals good afternoon mrs smith welcome to the inauguration thank you elsie I shall see how welcome it shall be. Elsie, word is the new president may have a few guests to the White House after these ceremonies. The kitchen is asking how much punch to make. I cannot look over every detail of the reception, Jeannie. Let the chef decide. Yes, ma'am. Delbert! I must say, Mrs. Smith, I am somewhat surprised you decided to attend. Elsie, you know, I have attended every inauguration since President Madison rebuilt the Capitol. I will not let Andrew Jackson interrupt that tradition, no matter how unwashed he may be. <laughs> washed, unwashed. For those of us who work at the White House, it does shall not matter so much. All presidents eat and all presidents drink, and we tend to them no matter who they are or what they do. I certainly hope you are correct. Delbert, please! What about my punch, Jeannie? 
Delbert, we should have more punch ready for any extra party goers this afternoon. I've taken care of that. Uh, have plenty of bowls of punch ready throughout the house. Thank you, Delbert. I knew you could be counted on. Our new president will be very pleased at his refreshment. Cold, delicious, and just a hint of some of that Tennessee whiskey like the new president would no doubt enjoy. Excuse me? Elsie, when do the first guess? That was some delicious punch, goddammit. They're here. Joseph Fad, watch your goddamn manners. I- I'm sorry, are I you here? I want more punch, Lily Mae. Oh! Quiet for a second, Joseph Fad. Jesus Christ! Excuse me, ma'am. We came all the way from Indiana to see Andrew Jackson become president, and we wish to thank him for the invitation to come to the White House for, for some more punch! My other foot! Mind your manners! Y- y- yes, well, we're happy to have you. What a beautiful house! This hair's the people's house. Oh, indeed it is. I heard President Jackson proclaim it so. The, the ladies and gentlemen. Look at this china, Joseph Fat. Pretty, huh? What are Ooh. they doing? Ooh, let me see. Excuse me, sir. Please! I was trying to look at the fancy dish. Please put the china down. I shall take a walk to the front lawn now. I believe that couple just broke a dinner plate, you Cyrus. You mean this one up here, Lulu Vale? Why are you standing on that shelf looking at a damn dish, Bucyrus? No more punch for you. You have clearly had too much. Please get off the shelf before it... Good lord. How much whiskey did you put in that punch, Delbert? The presidential China? Delbert, do something! Andrew Jackson said the people's house would be open to the people, and he was right. Who knew politics would be so much fun? Uh, give, give me a minute, Elsie. We don't have a minute. They're destroying the carpeting. I know when there's moonshine and the punch, and I love it. This here Hoosier is never going to vote for nobody but Andrew Jackson ever again. Are you trying to break my foot, woman? Trying to get another cup of punch. Make make way, make make way, please, make way. What on earth is... Oh, my goodness. I have never seen such a huge wheel of cheese so big in my life. What are you going to do with that cheese? We have nothing else in the house but cheese and ice cream. Want to calm people down with dairy products? Who knew when we voted for the great Andrew Jackson that the government would feed us cheese for it? Mm, give me a hunk of that cheese. I saw it first. You did not. I did too. Hey, you saw this first. You show that Tennessee Postcat what the West really means. Hunk your daddy, hunk your daddy. We're tired of the front lawn for more punch and, and cheese. And ice cream. Please go. Now. Mrs. Smith. What a pity. What a pity. I guess I put too much booze in the punch. Ow! Jeannie, you are responsible for this. No. This was inevitable. The second Andrew Jackson became president. Oh, they certainly are not the kind of people you're used to being entertained by when you've come to the White House, Madam Smith. Yeah, look at this place. The China will take forever to replace. I I don't think this is such a noble job anymore, Elsie. Oh, dear. Poor girl. Why don't you go get some ice cream? Uh, No need to go outside, Jeannie. (laughs) Here you go. 
My, only ladies and gentlemen had been expected to this levee, not the people in mass. But it was the people's day, and the people's president, and the people will rule. This is a new era indeed. God help the country. Hand over that flask. Now! So Andrew Jackson is, you know, running on this platform of let the people rule, like the people should decide, I support the people, populism, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and he's not just talk. He makes good on this from day one. <laughs> so Andrew, it's the greatest story. Andrew Jackson's inauguration is the best. It is basically a national kegger. Yeah, it's basically a frat party at the White House. Uh, Andrew Jackson is inaugurated. He does his inaugural speech. And then he says, okay, everybody, like, come over for the party. Everybody. Spontaneously. Yeah, no one has planned this, right? No one's prepared (laughs) for this. No one thought he was going to do this. Of course, there's, you know, an inaugural ball. There's always a party. Um, Just like it is today, back then, it was, like, a fancy affair. Invite only. Right, like... Fancy people get to go. You're invited. They plan for you. Uh, there are staff. And Andrew Jackson is just like, nah, open invite. Like anybody who wants to come. There'll be beer. Free <laughs> and beer. Cheese. And, and cheese. And whiskey. And so everyone shows up, right? Like not just the fancy Washington people, not just folks that are in politics. Like normal people on the street just show up at the White House. And... You know, not only are these the kinds of people that, you know, aren't usually at the White House, right? They're just like normal Joe Schmoes. There's also way too many of them. Yeah, no fire code. Yeah, this is <laughs> definitely, if there was a fire, <laughs> code, fire code, it would have been long exceeded, <laughs> long gone exceeded. They probably invented fire codes because of this party. And <laughs> no indoor manners either. Oh, no. People right. jumping out of the, or pushed out or falling out, who knows, of the second Maybe story. Maybe drunk falling out of the windows, who knows. Yeah. You know, people are breaking furniture, they're breaking dishes, like, I don't know if this Ruining is intentional or not, but it's happening, um, or maybe if it's just because they're drunk, because, like we said, basically a frat party. Um, you know, at one point, they actually have to wheel in a 40-pound wheel of cheese. <laughs> Love that. Because no one had prepared for this many people. They didn't have enough hors d'oeuvres. It's the greatest visual. <laughs> they're just, like, rolling this down the lawn of the White House to get it in. Um <laughs> And, you know, at one point, they they eventually, like, need people to leave, right? It's getting too late. So they actually just have to start serving ice cream and punch out on the lawn because then people <laughs> will leave the house to go get the snacks out on the lawn. Like, Perfect. it's it's a complete shit show. But it lasted a couple days, as I, re- as I read. Like, like it wasn't like just... Like any good kegger. <laughs> yeah. say, how long does it take to get rid of drunk people from your house? How long does it Have take you had to a get, party before? How long does it take to get rid of, to get clean up what's left of a 40-pound wheel, wheel of cheese? <laughs> Would the there rind. be any left of the cheese? Just <laughs> probably the rind. I mean, I don't know. These are just, uh, these aren't fancy people. They might not know they're not supposed to eat with the rind. So on top of everything else, Andrew Jackson invented government cheese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it's, like you said, um, once this started with his I am the man of the people... Um, he rode that hard. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, yes. and, and part of that, right, being the man of the people, and uh, part of that then became rewarding those people. 
Um, so Andrew Jackson is, uh, you know, I guess to, to some extent, his claim to fame is uh, starting our current system of political patronage. Besides the whole Trail of Tears thing, too. Uh-huh. And besides the Bank of the United States. Not yes. His his less awful claim to fame. <laughs> still still not really good. <laughs> but, like, but no one got hurt. Awful. Right, like no one died. Um, well, what kind of gigs did he hand out? I right, mean, so, you know, you might be thinking like, well, of course everyone's, you know, giving their friends. This uh, is Chicago. Jobs. We know patronage. Right, exactly. <laughs> we, you know, we just last episode talked about the corrupt bargain and um, John Quincy Adams and Henry Clay. So isn't that political patronage? Um, and absolutely, you know, you're letting your friends have cabinet positions. If, you know, they supported you, you have similar positions, uh, yada, yada, yada. But Jackson is taking this to like a whole new level. Uh, so we're not just talking cabinet members. We're not just talking, um, you know, that, that kind of level, maybe, you know, somebody's assistant. Postmaster uh, of Tuscaloosa. Exactly. <laughs> we're talking like postmaster general. We're talking, uh, a judgeship in Tennessee. So were positions created chiefly so that Jackson could fill them with his cronies? Um, I think. To some extent, maybe, um, but you know, it's it much like it is to it. It basically started what we have today. You know, so today when we have a new president, if you're a appointee, you pack your bag you right before the, the inauguration president. because you assume. Uh, that you're going to be replaced, whether you want to be or not. And most of the time, you're correct. Um, you know, if it's a president from, you know, the same political party, maybe you don't go. But most of the time, they're going to put in their own guys. And this is exactly what Jackson did. Um, so, you know, a lot of these positions, yeah, there's always been a postmaster in Tuscaloosa. But before, you know, probably just whoever had it kept having it unless they started sucking at the job. Um, and it didn't really matter what political party you were. So um, he was literally creating this system. He didn't have to fire people or get rid of people. I mean, I think definitely some of these, like he wasn't like making new positions the whole time. Um, some of them absolutely were. Uh, but he but he did say, yeah. I mean, this is a You're federal fired. position. Yeah. This, you serve. At the will of the president. At the will of the president, because this is a federal position, so you're gone. I'm the president now, that's, not John Quincy Adams. Well, that's kind like, of a uh, president. Like Jefferson pre- with uh, James Callender, who said, uh, you know, I worked on your campaign. I expect to get a particular position. That's <laughs> and when he pre- didn't, uh, I guess that's how Sally's... Um, position in Jefferson's cabinet became known. <laughs> it's a precedent that was actually that we continue to see to this day, obviously. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it has, you know, as the country has gotten larger, only gotten larger. Um, but Jackson is absolutely the first to start this. And again, this isn't patrician East Coast. This is sort of unwashed uh, frontier people, I don't know if we want to say Southerners, but certainly frontier people, given frontier of the day. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it's, and, and it's just anyone who's, you know, supported you, basically. It's not just like, um, you know, your friends who are already representatives or senators, and now you're just who elevated. Who had a political pedigree. Yeah, now, now maybe you're elevated to Secretary of War when you were a senator. This is, well, you worked on my campaign in Georgia, so now you get this position. You know, Jackson might not even know you personally, but yeah. he knows that you helped him. Uh, and so now you get a now you're gonna get something for that. Yeah. Would the 
Indian Removal Act be classified as a populist act? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. How so? I don't think there were many people opposed <laughs> to that. Probably the Quakers were. Yeah. <laughs> but, maybe. But only like maybe because they'd already gotten rid of their Indians. Right? Like <laughs> we sympathize with the Indians because we don't know any. Is what the Quakers would have said. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, this is totally a populist move, right? Um, I mean, well, it, and very popular oh. as well, right? Like, both populist and popular. I mean, yeah. today, we look at this... Um, with you know, horror. With, with Most of us, I hope, uh, look at this with horror and think this is, you know, po- possibly one of the, the most disgusting things that, that a president has ever done uh, and is certainly the worst thing Jackson ever did, and he's a garbage human, a dumpster fire. Uh, so that's saying a lot. But uh, it was it was very popular at the time. And that's mostly because, right, as the country is expanding uh, westward, south- southward, all over word, uh, <laughs> white settlers are coming into contact with Native American tribes who that is their land. But white settlers want places to farm, want places to graze, and want places to, quote, improve. I mean, the popular idea, right, of, and this isn't quite manifest destiny, but it, but it almost yet. is, um, you know, the popular idea is that we have this huge expanse of this continent, and everything past where we are, there's no one there, which is obviously bullshit. Um, <laughs> there are, you know, Native American nations all over the country. And, you know, at this time, um, this the Indian removal are especially impacting um, the South. Yep. And at this point in time, in, in the late 1820s, there are, um, you know, several large Native American uh, tribal nations still in the Southern United States. Um, you know, I think popularly we sort of think of, oh, well, Native Americans out in the West. Um, but they were in the West because they were removed from <laughs> the uh, Midwest and the South. And By Andrew removed Jackson. from the South in order to expand plantations. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Well, also because the Indians wouldn't, work for free god damn it right i mean you're replacing native americans with slaves yeah it's like we we much more convenient yeah we thought that we could get the native americans to you know work under subjugation and no compensation (laughs) but they refused and ran so weird how dare they (laughs) but but Um, but but also i mean they thought like well surely they'll just give us their land right yeah because they were totally cool with us settling on their land because there were rules and there were laws and there were courts that said squatters right able to do that but they jackson did anyway uh in one of my absolute favorite quotes of andrew jackson which is saying something because he's garbage and nothing he said was great John Marshall has made his law, now let him enforce it, right? I mean, so you really see, uh, I I don't want to necessarily say for the first time, but uh, you really do see this um, competition between the three branches. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Jackson hated the Supreme Court. He didn't like the Supreme Court before he became president. He... And he didn't like them after. He, he thought it was ridiculous that they were appointed for life. He thought it was ridiculous that they were appointed and not um, subject to the will of the people. And So the first presidency where one branch of the government is openly hostile and to the point of circumventing or trying to short-circuit the other... Definitely. Or at least, okay. at least yeah. one of the other or, branches. Or at least, you know, being... Uh, 
openly combative. Opening, condescending yeah. and combative towards mm-hmm. that other branch. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Supreme... Questioning their authority. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I sure there are other presidents, but again, Jackson, blatant about it. Much yeah. more blatant mm-hmm. and, and to a much larger extent, a much more public extent. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, the Supreme Court at this point, you know, rules that the the states really can't make laws about the about Native American tribal lands, um, and they you know and and these settlers can't be going into these tribal lands. And Jackson's like, okay, well, y- you 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 try to make that happen. Then you enforce it. Well, it, too, good it, luck. It you didn't can't. come in a vacuum because you did have some Native Americans who said, you know, we're just not going to go away. We'll take you to court. We'll use your own laws, white people. Uh, and they went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled in their favor. And then yeah, Jackson said his infamous statement and uh, still sent soldiers in to clear them off their land. Now, was that during his first or second term? I, th- I, I think it was his first. Okay. I think this all started in his first term. Okay. Um, and then continues on. And then continues on, on right. into because the actual Because removal. he won a big old re-election. Yep. I mean, so Jackson, you know, he starts... Some of these are treaties. Some of these are handshake agreements, hand, literally. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and and some of them, you know, the Native American tribes absolutely do not want to be leaving their land, uh, despite the promise that never comes to fruition. Right, that they'll get land somewhere else. Uh, they don't want to leave. This is, you know, their this is their land. This is ridiculous. Um, but Jackson. Uh, you know, unlike former presidents who kind of had tried to make things work and didn't do anything too drastic, Jackson puts his foot down and uh, this is his policy. This is his signature policy mm-hmm. is removing these Native Americans uh, so that white people can settle their land and have slaves on it, basically, because it's largely in the South. I will also say, though, it is, while it is largely in the South, uh, I do want to point out, since we are in Illinois, right? Mm-hmm. 1832, the Black Hawk War uh, happens because um, white settlers in Illinois come into contact with uh, Native Americans who are not too pleased with them being there, um, and which is a very formative part of Chicago's history. Mm-hmm. Greetings. <laughs> glad to meet you. Uh, glad you waited for me to come and fetch you. Last time some some bitch came looking for me by himself, he had two pistols and tried to shoot me dead. <laughs> Dumb bastards, guns didn't go off though, so I gave him a piece of this cane. <laughs> I beat him so bad he said he was the king of England. Of course, doctors say he thought he was the king of England before he came to try to kill me, but what the hell do they know? Doctors couldn't keep my wife alive long enough to see me be president. I say I beat him enough to make him crazy. I'm the president. <laughs> Uh, well, welcome to the White House. You know, always happy to welcome some fellow Tennesseans. Come, come with me to the portico. I just built it, you know. It is magnificent, ain't it? And there, that is a room to do your business. <laughs> Can you believe this place never had indoor plumbing? <laughs> All them founding father presidents had to go outside to a shit house. <laughs> and they say, I'm the savage. Hoity-toity northerners. They can never stomach a bastard from Tennessee beating them twice. Uh, John Quincy Adams is still smarting after everything I did to him. (laughs) And he wound up in the House of Representatives. Go figure. He can take a whipping just as easy as one of my slaves. (laughs) Hey, why ain't you laughing at that? I thought you said you were from Tennessee. (laughs) 
Uh, well, let's move on. Uh, Grand Hall is pretty, ain't it? I fought like hell for it. I was 13 when I fought the Redcoats. Killed all my family, the bastards. So I killed a few myself. <laughs> and now, America is friends with the French. <laughs> That's what governing's all about, boy. Winning and make sure the people you beat know you beat them. Ugh. There's some people that say this country should go way past the Mississippi, way out to that there ocean over there. <laughs> I say, how are you going to do that with all them Indians living there? So, I take action. Indian Removal Act. <laughs> Those hoity-toity types thought I was crazy, but they gave me the authority. Yeah, the smart Indians went, and the other ones, <laughs> where they're going now. <laughs> Supreme Court trying to tell me I couldn't do it. You know what I told them? Stop me. <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> here it is. The most powerful room in the Republic. The Oval Office. Where I do my thinking, no matter what people think about me thinking for them. Uh, them northerners like to bitch about old hickory. But when this nation goes all the way that there ocean... Every one of them families, families will prosper and make fortunes. Hypocrites, the lot of them. Uh, maybe they'll open up a new bank. <laughs> I closed their bank and they couldn't stand it. Ah, what do we need a government bank for anyway? Paper money? Paper ain't money. Gold is money. Silver is money. That's what this country ought to be using, not paper money. That's what I keep telling Van Buren. Maybe he'll listen to me when he runs for president. If he's smart, he will. I know the people will love it. Because I know the people, and the people love me. <laughs> and that is the beauty of a democracy. <laughs> well, we're done here. You got your tour with the great Andrew Jackson. People love me for what I do and what I am. And they ought to, well, with all the travails of my life. And now I want a time to be by myself. You... You got two minutes to take your leave. I'll show you a piece of this cane. <laughs> now seriously, what the hell are you still doing here? Get! It's like I haven't read up on Van Buren. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. Well, we're talking about the end of the Jackson presidency. Because yeah. I guess, and actually one question that did pop up in my head is that given how unconventional he was... We know that the convention was to only run for two terms. Did he entertain trying to stick around for a third term, or were two plenty for him? I mean, I think when you have, I think when you have uh, <laughs> the puppet strings on Van Buren, you <laughs> don't have to run for a third term. You can kind of. I mean, because Jackson was absolutely the power behind Martin Van Buren. Absolutely. Oh, really? So he was he was still kind of manipulating him even as Van Buren was president. Oh, oh he was yeah he was definitely the puppet master. It was ah. um, a a Dick Cheney George Bush kind of situation uh, <laughs> where he's he's the one with the real power here. Well, you would have thought that by then the elite that had that had preceded Jackson or that had preceded Jackson would have been able to somehow reorganize themselves to try to fight him in order to regain some of that power. Uh, but the person that they put up is Henry Clay. And as we all know, Henry Clay's a perpetual loser. 
So he loses. So there was a Clay running against Jackson or Clay running against Van Buren? Against Van Buren. Oh, and wow. Jackson. And, Jackson, and Jackson. Yeah, he ran against Jackson too, right? Because oh. he always runs for president and he always loses. Got it. So the, Poor the, Henry Clay. The Jackson Henry supporters um, came out in force for Martin Van Buren and just left Clay in the dust. Yeah, I mean, Jackson supporters were never going to support Henry Clay anyway. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, Henry Clay is the anti-Jackson. Um, and I think that he would have been very happy to have that title um, because he the, the, the feeling was mutual between the two of them. Dawn, I know I speak for the entire Republican Party. Mitch, I am the Republican Party. No, no, Don, you are just the titular head. But <laughs> you said titular and head. Ha! Sweet Jesus. Anyway, Don, we're all sure that for the good of the country, you'll do the honorable thing. I am doing the honorable thing, Mitch. I'm staying in the White House until everyone admits that I won. Well, then you're going to get awful lonesome stuck here in the Oval Office between the isolation and the stress of the election and getting over COVID. Uh, no one would blame you for doing something a little desperate. Like what? Send a dick pic to Lisa Murkowski? Give me strength. Anyway, Don, I talked to the White House valet. There's something in your desk drawer there that will help you out if the strain ever becomes unbearable. How did you fit a hooker in a desk drawer? Only you. Well, I'll leave you alone with your thoughts. Anyone ever tell you that you look like a turtle? Or I'll just leave you alone. Goodbye, Don. Ooh, a gun. Even better than a hooker. Is it loaded? Whoops. Now, why did you shoot my portrait, you red-haired goblin? Holy shit. It's the ghost of Andrew Jackson. You're my favorite president. That's one thing we have in common, Grump. It's Trump? Like in a bridge game? What are you? A member of a ladies' social club? At least that explains why you never learned how to shoot a gun. Now, why don't you call one of them big, beefy Secret Service boys in here and have them take that gun away before any more art is destroyed? But it's my gun. The Senate Majority Leader gave me this loaded pistol as a gift. That burgoo-eating bluegrass state Brutus gave you a loaded pistol because he wants you to kill yourself. Oh, come on. Mitch doesn't want that. We're friends. That crooked Kentucky conniver who makes Henry Clay look like Square Deal Sam, he figures the only way you're leaving this office is if there's a hole in that pumpkin you call a head. You lost the election, Frump. Now get. It's Trump, and I didn't lose. I didn't. I win the greatest victory since my last victory, and they're trying to steal it from me. Listen here, you hoity-toity huckster. I know a little something about having an election stolen from you. 1824, I won the popular vote by a great big whopping margin, something you'll never do even if they count every ballot five times, and the House of Representatives betrayed me in the corrupt bargain of 1824. There is no comparison. But there is a comparison. There are corrupt bargains in all the states I lost. Of course there are, because you're trying to make them. Surely as that prissy piss-ant John Quincy Adams did with that larcenous Lexingtonian Henry Clay. 
a real president gains the state's support by threatening to invade them, like I did during the nullification crisis of 1832. It's not my fault that my chief of staffs are too brainwashed by the lamestream media to send troops to Georgia and Pennsylvania. That's why I'm filing lawsuits? No, you are filing lawsuits. Because that's how New York City panel wastes. Like you and that Rudy Judy Moody or whatever his name is try to solve everything. I'm not just from New York City. I have a big estate in Florida. And you conquered Florida. And I guess no good deed goes unpunished. Now you listen to me, chump. It's Trump. I know. <laughs> uh, you say I'm your favorite president. Then follow my example. Pretend you're giving up. And then spend the next four years making that Biden bastard even more miserable than your ex-wives. But whatever you do, don't put that gun to your head. Why? Because I should never give up? No! Because you'll miss and shoot my painting again. You couldn't hit the floor with a stream of piss. Yes, I can. Want to watch? No! No. This is probably a good point to start wrapping up. Um, again, like garbage, like some some sometimes you just got to take out the garbage and Ew. just take it into account. And any final words on Andrew so did Jackson? Andrew Jackson just retired. Did he just say, you know, I'm tired of good having question. to deal with this bullshit day after day? I've done it for two terms. I'm out of here. Let someone else take the uh, the slings and arrows, so to speak. Um, well, like we said, he, he he gave up the presidency, but he didn't really give up the power, right? So he's pulling the strings um, behind Martin Van Buren. Um, but, you know, he doesn't really have, like, a, 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 a real, you know, a, a formal political career after this. Um, he basically just writes Martin Van Buren letters and says, no, this is what we should do. Like, this is what the policy should be. These are my opinions and I want you to follow them. Uh, and for the most part, Martin Van Buren does. And then Jackson dies. A grumpy old man at his plantation, if I remember correctly. Yep, that sounds A about right. A very ornery old man. Because well, he, was he was an very, ornery young he's, man. Yeah, he's been an ornery young man. <laughs> I was going to say, there is a story about him fighting off an assass- a would-be assassin. Yes, uh, Jackson actually did survive uh, the first presidential assassination attempt, which is a fun fact. Mm -hmm. Oh, this Uh, is actually a great story. Oh, go on. Oh, no, it's fine. You can tell it. Okay. Was Uh, it an actual assassination attempt, or was he in a fight that could have killed him? (laughs) No, this is an actual assassination attempt. If I remember correctly, it's on the way uh, to his, after his second inauguration... And it's on the way to the White House, uh, and a gentleman steps out into the middle of the street in front of Andrew Jackson, point blank, like, points a gun at him and pulls the trigger, and the gun does not go off. And Jackson looks at this guy, who is now like, oh, shit. (laughs) And Jackson takes his walking stick and and hits this guy in the head, and just the guy just falls to the ground. And so he has not only has he survived the first presidential assassination attempt, but he has beat the shit out of the guy <laughs> who has tried to assassinate him. Who turned him. out to be kind of delusional yeah. as, a, like, as well. But yeah, well, I mean, yeah. As, as things happen. Who try to assassinate presidents. Things well, happen, exactly. Well, well, you can just imagine Jackson like standing there being like this all stony, like Andrew Jackson. Like, are you 
fucking kidding me? (laughs) Guns were not the most reliable. No, they were not. (laughs) Not at all. Not Um, until the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, as as we as we're wrapping up and final thoughts about Jackson, um, and we haven't really touched on this, but I I think uh, it's you know pretty clear from his character, so it it won't shock anyone. but, you know, since Jackson was kind of such a populist, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like a learned man. Uh, he, you know, he wasn't like a big scholar or anything. Um, and actually, a fun fact is he's a, he was a terrible speller. Um, <laughs> and so uh, one of, I mean, this is a, probably an apocryphal clo- quote, right? It's probably one of those quotes that he didn't really say. Um, but, you know, legend kind of has it, I think, that, uh, you know, Jackson said, like, it's a poor man who can only spell a word one way. <laughs> that makes certain that. that makes yeah. certain presidents much richer than we thought they were. Oh, that's so good. And on that note, strategery. Mm-hmm. DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bucola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chuey, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. This episode's sketches were performed by Gina Pucola, Sandy Bakowski, Ramona Joey, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, Sean Rostin, Tommy Spears, and Louise Thomas. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast is by Joseph Fedorko. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and The Electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading.